Welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. This current series of messages is on the book of Acts, showing its relevance for today as a pattern book for the operation of the Holy Spirit through the church. Be sure also to get a copy of Kevin's commentary on the book of Acts. Visit kevinconnor.org for details. Let's turn just to one verse uh, tonight in Acts chapter 1. And uh, we'll just pick up where we uh, left off in the last session I was taking. All right, Acts chapter 1, and I'm only going to read verse 3 and uh, finish on this portion uh, in our session tonight. And then we'll pick up the last part of uh, the book of Acts next, uh, last part of uh, chapter 1 next week. All right, so in verse 3, as we've been sharing together, we're told, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. All right, now let me just take a very brief moment to uh, pick up where we left off in our last session here. Uh, we saw that Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew gave the sign of the prophet Jonah and he said, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, so the Son of Man would be uh, three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. We, we saw that, uh, that uh, in uh, Jonah's experience, his experience was divided into three days and three nights. Uh, first one that had a submarine ride and came out alive and lived to tell the story. So three days and three nights and we have... Uh, the fulfillment in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he went 40 days into the city of Nineveh, a Gentile city, and uh, preached there, and a whole uh, Gentile city turned to the Lord in repentance. So three days and 40 days. And so when we come to the New Testament fulfillment, uh, remember Jesus said that's the sign of the prophet Jonah, and often we just take up uh, the three days and three nights of Jonah, but we, we sort of forget that there were 40 days involved. Now, the Lord Jesus fulfills the same sign, and so we have three days and three nights of Calvary, and then 40 days, as we read in Acts chapter 1 here, uh, 40 days, showing himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, as we said in our last session, during these three days and three nights, plus the 40 days, there were a lot of exciting things happened. So I just want to mention these briefly again on the three days and three nights. Uh, the first thing we uh, noticed there was that the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled the Passover feast. Feast of Passover as the Passover Lamb of God. When John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, uh, he was the Lamb to finish all lambs, to uh, uh, finish all animal sacrifices. He is the Lamb of God. And God is no longer interested in any other animal sacrifices. Can we all say amen? amen. Because he has the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. All right, so Jesus Christ died as the Passover lamb. Then we notice the, uh, uh, some of the significant events that happened in the three days and three nights. First thing as we saw together was he ascended in spirit and he said to the Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. So I believe that the Bible teaches that Jesus didn't go downstairs. He went upstairs. He went to be with the Father over the three days and three nights. So he ascended in spirit. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. And then the second uh, important thing we picked up uh, also was that the dying thief, the repentant thief, remember there were two thieves crucified either side of him. 
Uh, one thief was repentant, one uh, thief was unrepentant, but he said to the repentant thief, today you will be with me in paradise. And so uh, Jesus, when he ascended up in spirit to the Father, uh, he took the dying thief as the first fruits uh, of his death into paradise, the repentant thief. And it's significant to go back to the Garden of Eden. There were two thieves around the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden, and here Jesus is hanging, hanging on a tree. Back there was man was cast out of paradise uh, because of sinning by a tree. But here the first uh, person to enter paradise uh, was the dying repentant thief here when Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And uh, this was a garden of Gethsemane and the surrounding environments in contrast to the Garden of Eden. And then the next important thing we saw together, what number three was, that I believe that Jesus, when he ascended up to the Father, he took his blood within the veil. And as we said, uh, Jesus has to fulfill, as we read in those scriptures, think that, uh, that I'm come to destroy the law and the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And so we remember how Aaron, on the great day of atonement, uh, the sacrifice was made here at the brazen altar, and then he would take the blood. The body was taken outside the camp. That's the significant thing here. The body was taken outside the camp, but Aaron the high priest took the blood within the veil and sprinkled it on the mercy seat. And so uh, we have a picture of Jesus who has to fulfill all these things. Aaron's the type, and so Jesus ascended into the heavenly uh, sanctuary, the heavenly tabernacle, and took his blood within the veil. So we have the blood of Jesus uh, in heaven for us. And as I mentioned in our last session, I, I have to disagree agreeably with those preachers who say that the blood of Jesus perished at Jerusalem. If the blood of Jesus perished at Jerusalem, then we have no cleansing agent for sin in the universe. Because God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Not when I see the body, when I see the blood. And see, as we say in theology... Jesus Christ came down from heaven in the incarnation to receive body and blood in order to sacrifice that body and blood. And the Bible clearly teaches us that the body of Jesus saw no corruption. In the three days and three nights that his body was in the grave, his body saw no corruption. It was incorruptible. Well now, is it possible that the body of Jesus saw no corruption? It was in, uh, incorruptible and yet preachers say that the blood of Jesus perished at Jerusalem, that it was corruptible. No. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Amen. And as we mentioned, Aaron dare not go within the veil on the great day of atonement without blood, or God would have blasted him out into the wilderness, and then some. Because Hebrews chapter 9 says, not without blood. So when Aaron took the blood within the veil and the body was outside the camp, Jesus has to fulfill all these things. And so his body was outside the camp, buried in the grave in the tomb, but incorruptible. And I believe that at this time, Jesus took his blood into the heavenly sanctuary and fulfilled that uh, typical thing of the great day of atonement. So a lot of things have to be fulfilled in that time. All right, number four, as we said very briefly, we need to move on to this. Uh, during the three days and three nights, Jesus was with the Father. I think it's about seven times he says in uh, John chapter 13, 14 and 15 and 16 and 17, I'm going to the Father, I'm going to be with the Father. 
Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. So he's with the Father over those three days and three nights. He's not downstairs preaching to anybody, contrary to uh, some of the teaching that floats around. He's with the Father over those three days. And then when we come to the end of the three days and three nights, uh, we, uh, or somewhere in this period of time anyway, that Jesus, number five, he released all the righteous spirits that were down in Sheol or Hades. All the Old Testament saints, when they died, they went to Sheol. And now uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, as we saw together, uh, we have come unto the heavenly Jerusalem, heavenly Zion, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. So Jesus, somewhere in these three days and three nights, in spirit, descended into Hades or Sheol and took all the righteous saints up with him. He led a, mo- a host of captives captive into heaven. Now we come uh, and pick up where we finish off on our final session here. At the end of the three days and three nights, Jesus descends in spirit, and now we have the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So his bodily resurrection after three days and three nights. Uh, Without going into this, I believe that, uh, as we work it out, that Jesus was crucified on Good Wednesday, not traditional Good Friday. It's very difficult to work out three days and three nights from Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's funny how we go to school to learn that three days and three nights are 72 hours, but we come to church to learn that three days and three nights are about 36 hours or 45 hours. Amazing, isn't it, how the church contradicts the school? Three days and three nights are 72 hours. When I went to school, is that right? And so if you work back from uh, the resurrection... And remember, their day was from 6 p.m. in the evening to 6 p.m., not like our midnight to midnight. And because of our Western time and Roman time and Hebrew time, we get it mixed up. So in the end of the Sabbath, the Sabbaths, in fact, Matthew chapter 28 in Fair Offendance translation translates it properly, in the end of the Sabbaths, plural. Because in this Passover week, there was two Sabbaths, There was the Sabbath, the high day when Jesus was crucified and the Feast of Passover and then there was the weekly Sabbath. So Pharaoh Fenton translates it correctly and because the the church was plagued with the Good Friday tradition and Romanism and Roman traditions, oh, they thought in the end of the Sabbath, oh, that S shouldn't be there. They didn't realize that in the Passover week there were two Sabbaths the high day Sabbath and that's why John says that day, that Sabbath was a high day, feast day. Then there was the weekly Sabbath, so Pharaoh Fenton rightly translates it in the end of the Sabbath. So in the end of the Sabbath, any time after 6 p.m. Saturday, which began their Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead. And when you work back the time from the resurrection, it brings you back Friday, uh, Saturday, pardon me, Friday, Thursday, it brings you back to the midst of the week, Wednesday. That Jesus was crucified on Wednesday, not traditional Good Friday. So that's a very important thing just to think about. Now I want you to turn over to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as we pick up now some of the exciting events of the 40 days. Now as you turn to 1 Corinthians 15, let me keep talking here, all the events that we have here happen in the spirit. Jesus' body is in the grave over three days and three nights, so his body is in the tomb. It's in the, in the grave, in the tomb there for three days and three nights. But in spirit, Jesus got a lot of work to do in these three days and three nights. With the Father taking the dying thief, presenting the blood, uh, 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 taking the righteous spirits out of Sheol, 
a lot of activity in spirit, but now we're talking about his bodily resurrection. So listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. And I'd like to pick up in verse 20. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 20 through to 23. It says here, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive, but every man in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. Now, just uh, while you're in Corinthians, if you're taking down uh, this famous diagram here, why don't you put down 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and reminding you of the scriptures that we've read from Matthew, think not that I am come to destroy the law and the prophets, I am not come to destroy but fulfill, because not one jot or tittle shall pass from the law until all shall be fulfilled. The law and the prophets prophesied. So these are the things that Jesus is fulfilling. So in 1 Corinthians 5, you'll note the first two feasts that are fulfilled. In verse, um, verse 7, the latter part, For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Okay, so we have the feast of Passover fulfilled in the death of Christ. Exodus chapter 12, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Christ, our Passover. Then the next feast after the Feast of Passover was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. I'll just abbreviate it here. Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that's fulfilled in verse 7. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And so in Exodus chapter 13, notice it. Exodus chapter 12 is the feast of Passover. Exodus chapter 13 is the feast of unleavened bread. And Jesus has to fulfill all this thing. Now, the next feast that has to be fulfilled is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we'll put that here. 1 Corinthians 15. And for your Old Testament scripture, Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23. Why don't we just turn back to that? Uh, just to show the significance. Now remember Paul is interpreting this for us. He interprets the Passover feast for us, Christ. He interprets unleavened bread, that we are to keep the feast of unleavened bread and purge out the leaven. Exodus 12, Exodus 13. Now he interprets Leviticus 23 in 1 Corinthians 15, the sheaf of the first fruits. Let's go to, um, to uh, Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23. And uh, let's pick up from, uh, from verse 9. Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 9. Now, in fact, just glance back a little bit. Verse, uh, verse, four, uh, verse 5, pardon me. Fourteenth day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover. Okay, fulfilled here. Verse 6, on the fifteenth day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread unto the Lord. Okay, fulfilled here, unleavened bread. Now verse 9, 
And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye become into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then ye shall bring a sheaf, listen to it, a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. And what was he to do? He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you. And when is he to do this? On the morrow after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Now let's just uh, interrupt there. Okay, so when Israel came to the promised land and the harvest was standing there, what were they to do? After Passover and after the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they were to go to the harvest field and they were to take one sheaf. And this sheaf was called the sheaf of the first fruits. And remember in the Bible, sheaves are likened to people. Remember the dream that Joseph had? He saw 11 sheaves bowing down to his sheaf. So sheaves are likened to people. And in this case, it's pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. So they brought one sheaf of the first fruits and they brought it to the house of the Lord and it was to be waved in the house of the Lord. The priest was to wave this sheaf in the house of the Lord. And note the beautiful language, he shall wave the sheaf before you to be accepted for you. So God accepted Israel in the sheaf. The same as God accepts the church in Christ. Ephesians 1.6 is a beautiful verse. He has made us accepted in the beloved. How many are glad that you're accepted in Christ? So just as Israel was accepted in the sheaf, you and I are accepted in Christ. So all this philosophy about self-acceptance, don't worry about it. You're accepted in Christ. You don't need that philosophy. It's in Christ I find acceptance, not self-acceptance, but in Christ I'm accepted just as I am. Without one plea. We sing it to the sinners, be nice to sing it to ourselves, don't you think? Just as I aren't you glad that Jesus accepts you just as you are? With all our faults, all our warts, all our wrinkles. Hallelujah. Alright, so he waves the sheaf to be uh, before the Lord to be accepted for you and listen to it. When is he to wave the sheaf? On the morrow after the Sabbath. And the morrow after the Sabbath is the first day of the week. So Jesus rose, not on the Sabbath, but in the end of the Sabbaths and on the first day of the week. That's why we do not keep the seventh day, because the Sabbath day is the old covenant. We keep the Lord's day, the first day of the week, because we're new covenant believers. And way back there, the children of Israel never could understand this. Why wasn't the sheaf waved on the Sabbath? Why was it waved on the morrow after the Sabbath, the first day of the week? And uh, running ahead here, when we get to chapter 2, we'll find the two most important events in the, in, in, in the history of the church were the resurrection of Christ, and that took place on the first day of the week, the morrow after the Sabbath, and then later on, when we get to Acts chapter 2, the Feast of Pentecost, which was the 50th day, that took place after the seventh Sabbath on the first day of the week, the morrow after the Sabbath. So the two most important events in the history of the church, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit took place not on the Sabbath, but on the first day of the week. And so I say, if it's good enough for Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to bypass the Sabbath and keep the first day of the week, and it's good enough for the Holy Spirit to bypass the Sabbath and come on the first day of the week, how many think that's a good reason for us to keep the first day of the week and not be seven-day Adventists or seven-day Pentecostals? Everybody said, Amen. Amen.
I had a brother in the States a new years ago. He's dead and knows better now. He kept Saturday and Sunday just to make sure. And then when I was in the Middle East, I found that the Muslims kept uh, Friday for the Sabbath and the Jews kept Saturday for the Sabbath and the Christians kept Sunday. And I thought, well, that's three days rest in the week. I could introduce that in Australia. And when I got back here, the unions beat me to it. More after the Sabbath. So the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, fulfilling the sheaf of first fruits. Now let's turn over quickly to to uh, John's Gospel, John's Gospel, and see a significant thing of this, and a verse that people often uh, raise a question about. Uh, John's Gospel, chapter twenty. John's Gospel, chapter twenty. And uh, you'll notice just uh, verse 1 and then down a few verses. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark unto the sepulchre and see if the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Then she ran and, uh, ran and told the disciples and uh, particularly Peter and John by the sound of it. They came and saw the linen, li- linen clothes lying there. And that always amazes me how uh, the soldiers went back and said that the disciples stole his body. I can never figure out how the soldiers stole his body and left the grave clothes there. I mean, that, that was another miracle in itself, wasn't it? To steal the body and leave the shape of the, the, the clothes that were wrapped around his body in the shape of a cocoon. And then they took the time to take the napkin that was round about his head, they folded that in the place by itself. Wonderful disciples, not scared at all, to overpower the soldiers, roll away the stone, break away the seal of Rome, get the body of Jesus out of the cocoon, leave the clothes there, take the time. I mean, they were too scared to sneeze, those disciples were. No wonder, no wonder the temple authorities paid the soldiers large sums of money out of people's tithes and offerings to shut them up about the resurrection story. I'm glad Jesus is alive. He's resurrected. Hallelujah. All right, now go down to verse 15. Jesus is standing there and he says, Woman, why weepest thou? Who are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said unto him, Sir, if you have borne him hence, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Typical woman. How could she carry the body of Jesus anywhere? Jesus said unto her, Mary, as only he could say it. My sheep know my voice, and I know my sheep by name. Jesus said unto her, Mary. She turned herself and said unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Now listen to the peculiar verse in 17, and some of the translations bring this out a different way. I think I prefer to leave it as it is here. Jesus said unto her, Touch me not. Or don't keep clinging to me, some translations say. But touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and to your Father and to my God and to your God. Now, this is the picture that I believe we have here. So, the events of the 40 days now. We've looked at the events of the three days and three nights. First major event of the 40 days here is the bodily resurrection of Jesus. So, Jesus' body is raised from the dead, his incorruptible body. Now, after the resurrection here, uh, 
he ascends to the Father. So that's why he says, touch me not. And again it fulfills something here because Jesus has to present himself bodily. He's presented the blood. Now he presents himself bodily as the assurity or as the assurity of our coming resurrection. So he goes back to the Father and says, touch me not, I'm not yet ascended to my God and to your God, to my Father and your Father. And uh, just on that first day of the resurrection, uh, Jesus ascended to the Father. Now, do you know where the Father is? Uh, so Jesus ascends bodily to the Father. How long do you think it took him to get to heaven? How many believe that heaven is a real place? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so Jesus ascended to heaven. Wherever heaven is, and uh, how long do you think it took him to get there? Because when you come to verse 19, he'd been to the Father and back. That's a pretty quick trip. How many think that's good space travel? <laughs> See, Jesus has got his space suit. It's a glorified body. How many are looking for a space suit? You won't need a Sputnik or any of this other stuff. When you get your glorified body, you'll have a spaceship. It'll be interplanetary travel. It's going to be fun. Huh? Don't think that heaven is you're going to be sitting on a cloud playing a guitar for all eternity. If that's heaven, forget it. I'm having fun here. Huh? But we have a glorified body. And, uh, and, and so Jesus had been up to the Father because verse 19 tells us then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, so still the resurrection day. He's bodily resurrected. He's been up to the Father. And now he comes back the same day. Talk about space travel. That was it. The same day at evening being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst of them and said, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples sad when they saw the Lord. What's your Bible say? I mean, that must have been a meeting when Jesus came back and said, have a look at my hands. Have a look at my side. They were glad when they saw the Lord. Wow. Just uh, imagine a little bit. What's the speed of light? 186,000 miles per second. Is that right? So if Jesus just circled the earth, in fact, someone told me it's quicker than this, but if Jesus just circled the earth when he comes back the second time, because when he does come back the second time, every eye is going to see him. So how can that be? If he circles the earth at the speed of light, just taking his time, that is, you know how long it will take him to circle the earth? About three and a half seconds. Oh, well, oh, that was a bit fast. <laughs> but how many think he can go faster than light? Wow, and we're going to have a body like his. That's the picture, see. That's what Jesus is doing here as the first fruits. Paul says in Philippians 3 verse 21, he is going to fashion our vile bodies like unto his glorious body. So if you want to know what you're going to be looking like in the resurrection, think of it. A glorified body shining with light and just interplanetary space travel. You don't think God stuck those planets and that universe of worlds out there for the sheer fun of it to play marbles with. That's for the redeemed. 
says that Jesus Christ is the heir of the universe of worlds and if he is the heir of the universe of worlds and I'm a joint heir with him we've got some fun to do in eternity not just playing a guitar with one string on it <laughs> alright now let's go quickly so he ascends to the father and comes back in that same day the first day of the week now number three let's turn to Matthew chapter 50 for another exciting thing that happened so many exciting things that happened. All right, Matthew chapter 27, verse 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the spirit, and behold the veil of the temple. That actually should have been over here. There's so many things we have to condense a bit. The veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to the bottom. That must have shocked the priest who was offering the sacrifice then. As he's standing there offering the sacrifice, all of a sudden, rip! And it's just like God said to the priest, you're out of a job, boys. <laughs> the Aaronic priesthood is over. I've got the Melchizedek priesthood hanging out on Calvary. And Josephus says that the veil was so thick that it would take 16 horses, if I remember correctly, 16 horses to try and rip the thing. And yet God just went zip! And it was done from top to bottom not from bottom to top because it was God coming to man in grace not man coming to God just ripped it up and tradition tells us that the priest sewed up the veil to hide it from the people but now there's no more veil now listen to the, the next thing here verse 51 and the earth did quake and the rocks rent and the graves were opened and many bodies not souls or spirits but many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves when? After his resurrection. So you think that when Jesus died on the cross, uh, there was an earthquake, graves were open. And just for three days and three nights, we had these open graves. Very intelligent earthquake, this. Because it only picked out the saints, not the baddies, not the sinners, just the goodies. Very intelligent earthquake. How many God, think God could be behind it? And so for three days and three nights you have these open graves but nothing's happened. But now after he's resurrected from the dead there's an out from the, out from the dead a resurrection company. Many bodies of the saints arose and they stopped over in Jerusalem for a little cup of coffee or no they didn't have coffee in those days. Whatever. Tea. Herb tea. <laughs> or whatever Jews had. I mean, that must have been exciting. You know, many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection because in all things he must have the preeminence. And they went into the holy city and appeared to many. I mean, that must have been a real exciting time. You know, suddenly sitting in your house there, all of a sudden a knock comes on the door, an open door, and you just, you know, and there's resurrection people just all over the place. Well, that's only a sample of what's going to happen at the end of the age when Jesus comes and just bursts open every tomb of the saints and up from the grave we arise with a mighty triumph of our foes we'll be singing it on the way up how many are looking for that? Yeah. well it depends whether the undertaker or the uptaker gets us that's the thing so mighty resurrection there now let's uh, go back to John chapter 20 and something else that happened on this resurrection day Back to John chapter 20. 
So number one, the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Number two, he ascends to the Father bodily and presents himself as a surety resurrected Jesus. Number three, many bodies of the saints arise. Number four, listen to what else happens on this resurrection day. Okay, picking up in verse 19 again. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut where the disciples were uh, assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then, now, listen to what happened. This is resurrection day. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Now, this is what I believe happened. Now, I know it's a controversial area, but this is what I believe that happened, that when Jesus came back on that resurrection day, that resurrection evening, he'd been up to the Father, wherever the Father is, in the center of the universe, somewhere, the throne of God, and came back that evening, and now he walks through the doors in his glorified body. No need to open the door for him. He just pops in and out. And, uh, and then he breathed on the disciples and said, Receive you the Holy Spirit now. The Greek experts tell me that this is a sort of an uh, imperative command that when he breathed on them, it's not that they're going to get the Holy Spirit later on, but they actually receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is what I believe happened on this resurrection day, that I believe at this moment the disciples experienced new birth. They were born again. Now, don't get it mixed up because after this, Jesus said, I want you to tarry in Jerusalem until the day of Pentecost when you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now that's going to be later on, but here they are born again of the Spirit. He breathed into them, just like, like God did in the Garden of Eden. He breathed into Adam, the breath of life, and Adam became a living soul. The first Adam was a living soul. The last Adam is a quickening spirit. So he breathed into them the breath of life. Down here at Pentecost, as we'll see, it's going to be a mighty rushing wind in the baptism of the Spirit. But here is the gentle breath as he breathed into them the breath of life. Let me say this. Nobody could be born again under the old covenant on the basis of animal blood. Because animal blood could never cleanse from sin. Animal blood could only cover sin. The blood of Jesus doesn't cover sin. The blood of Jesus cleanses sin. I think that's worth a hallelujah, don't you? Amen. Eh? And so, new birth is the product of, the blood of, of the, blood, the blood of Jesus, the blood of atonement. So, when he said, receive the Holy Spirit, it's an imperative command. They received the Holy Spirit and were born again. Now, look at verse 24, because some of you may be in this. But Thomas, doubting Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, what a name, one of the twins was not with them when Jesus came, and the other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord. You know, it doesn't pay to miss a meeting, saints. That's the message here. You never know what might happen. Jesus just may walk through the door. There may be a breathing of the Spirit, and you may just miss that meeting and say, Oh, Thomas, you missed it. You, shouldn't have, you should have been there. We can't, it's better felt than tell. We can't, you can't even get it on the tape. You know. He said, 
except I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger, finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hands in his side. I will not believe. And now, listen to it again, verse 26, and after eight days, again, oh, resurrection day, eight days, not seven days, eight days. So now eight days down here, Jesus turns up in the meeting <laughs> and he says, Thomas, you missed that first meeting back there. Don't miss a Sunday meeting. You'll never know what's going to happen. Do, do you believe this? Or you're just enjoying it and you don't believe me? Huh? I tell you, you never know what might happen. So he reached forth your hands, touched me and he said, and this was blasphemy for a Jew to say this. Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. And if Jesus Christ is not God, it's blasphemy to worship him. And for a Jew to say to a man, my Lord and my God, unless Jesus was God, that would have been blasphemy. But what a revelation. And look at the promise he gives to us. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And we're blessed tonight. We haven't seen, but I believe. Amen. All right, now let's go over to a couple of other things here as time moves on. Over this 40 days, you'll find, uh, let's put number five, we have uh, uh, many appearances of the Lord Jesus, many appearances. All through this 40 days, Jesus is showing himself alive by many infallible proofs. So many, many appearances. Uh, let me just give you some of them. There's so many here. Uh, for instance, we have in Mark, if you want to take some scriptures here, you might like to take these down. Mark 16, verse 6. There were two messengers in the tomb, one at the head and one at the, uh, the feet of Jesus, and said he's, he's resurrected. And then uh, Mark 16, verse 9. Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene and uh, showed himself alive. And then in Mark 16, and Luke 23, you can read the Gospels corresponding. Jesus appeared to other women who, who told the disciples. And then we find, and this must have been very touching when, uh, in Mark 16, verse 6, where Jesus said, go and tell the disciples and Peter. How many think Peter must have been touched? Did he really say my name? After I cussed him out and denied him, he, he really said, tell the other disciples and Peter. I think that broke something in Peter that needed to be broken. Right. I'll never deny you if everybody else does. Never fear, Peter's here. Right. And as somebody has said, Peter was cocksure until the cock crew. That's why Peter wanted to make that bird into Kentucky Fried Chicken. Uh, think of the appearance on the road to Emmaus. The two disciples there and how Jesus opened up the word to them. Think of his appearance to the ten disciples we looked at here and then later on Thomas. And so all through these 40 days Jesus was appearing. Now I want you to turn over to the book of Acts. Uh, book of Acts. And this is a uh, passage of scripture that always blesses me. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, and we'll pick up in verse uh, 39, Acts uh, chapter 10 verse 39, 
And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly. And this is the part that always impresses me here. Not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. Very significant thing here. Most of the appearances of Jesus in this 40 days, uh, Jesus had communion with, communion with his disciples. Eating and drinking. So there was, remember Jesus said back here, I will not eat or drink this with you until I eat and drink it anew in the kingdom of God. And not every post-resurrection manifestation of Jesus, he appears and he has communion with the disciples. Something about the communion table and the presence of Jesus there that uh, I believe a lot of people miss. Now, listen to this here. So it says in verse 40, Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, but not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. Now, being an Australian, if I had have been Jesus, this is what I would have been tempted to do. Uh, the moment I'd been raised from the dead, I would like to have popped over into Pilate's bedroom and said, Hello, Pilate. How you doing, buddy? Scared the life out. Catch me if you can. You know, and slip in and out the wall. And then come over here and into his kitchen. Scare the life out of him. And then after I'd given him a turn, I'd like to have gone over to Herod's, you know, say, Hi, Herod. How you doing, buddy? Try and catch me if you can. You know, I'd like to have popped into the Sanhedrin. Said, how's the meeting going with the eldership this morning, boys? You know, if I had have been Jesus, you know, with a body like that, I would have been slipping in and out of town and just scaring the life out of everybody. <laughs> now will you believe? Are you going to believe now? Only believe, only believe. But you know what? <laughs> the last the unbelieving world ever saw of Jesus was hanging on a cross. And only the believers ever saw him raised from the dead. So let's read it in the scripture in the light of a little touch of humor. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, but not to all the people. If he wanted to convince the world that he was raised from the dead, he could have showed himself to everybody. Then they believe. Oh, if one rose from the dead, we'll believe. No, they wouldn't. So not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. All right, now just a couple of other things and then our time is through. Why don't you, for those of you taking down notes, uh, in uh, the next thing we have here, number six, so we have a lot of bodily appearances of Jesus. He showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, undeniable, irrefutable proofs over 40 days. The number six, Acts chapter one, We've been reading it in the last uh, several weeks, Acts chapter 1. He spoke to them of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Spoke to them of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God because this gospel of the kingdom has to be preached in all the world for a witness. And then number 7, the next thing that we see here, Jesus gave them the great commission. Go into the war, all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and uh, make disciples of all nations. Matthew chapter 28 and verses 18 to 20, the Great Commission, where Jesus gives the final charge before he leaves the earth for heaven. 
And then let's go back to Acts chapter 1 as we finish here. The eighth miraculous thing here is this. Number 8, Acts chapter 1, and uh, we'll pick up now in verse 9 as we finish our session. And when he had spoken these things, the kingdom of God being witnesses, when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Just some little cloud floating around? No. Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Oh, some cloud that got out of orbit? No, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and out of the bright cloud, the Father's voice was heard. Because in the Old Covenant, there was a Shekinah glory cloud that had departed from the earthly temple. But now that bright glory cloud overshadows the real temple, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Father's voice comes out of that glory cloud and says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And don't forget that the psalmist says, he makes the clouds his chariot. So when a cloud received him out of their sight, I'm looking for my chariot, aren't you? Won't be a spaceship, this will be a spaceship. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, two men, these mysterious two men, stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, and I'm looking for the same Jesus, aren't you? Not another Jesus. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books, and his ministry.